Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is the 24th Psalm, a Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol, or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, Mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Psalm 24. one of the best-selling books in the history of Christianity. So up there with uh, Pilgrim's Progress, you know, is this book, it was published, uh, I forgot to look up the exact date, but within the last 10 or 15 years, it's called The Shack. And uh, yeah, we hear the murmur go through the crowd. Some people have read it. And it's, uh, I haven't read it. And I I wasn't planning on talking about it actually until the last word of the scripture reading. Um, And I haven't read it. I'd like to read it. Uh, And it just (laughs) sold like crazy. And as far as I understand, I I shouldn't comment on it, um, having not read it, but uh, it's not very well written particularly. Um, And the other thing is the circles I ran in at the time that that book came out, uh, people said it's heretical, you know, it's not biblical. And, you know, sold 30 million copies or whatever. And uh, I don't know whether it's well-written or not. I don't know whether it's biblical or heretical uh, in certain aspects. I should read it this week. I should read books before I talk about them in front of lots of people. Um, But what I felt the Lord saying to me as I stood up here is, Uh, The reason that book sold the way it did is because whether it's true in all of its particulars, there is a truth at its core that is the truth that's at the core of the whole universe that everybody else stopped talking about, which is that God is three in one, three and one. Um, Every way we have of talking about it, is so insufficient and it becomes so quickly a a doctrine the trinity the trinity i don't i mean we we know what we're talking about the trinity but uh we're talking about god you know you don't don't call god the trinity you know or um the godhead the godhead the three persons of the godhead i don't i don't 
I don't like the Godhead. I don't know what that is, but it's, it's weird. And I don't understand it. The closest I've come where I am right now is just seeing it as a family that is so close that it's like they're one person. And, you know, we, we have uh, examples of this. And I mean, it's marriage, you know, it's supposed to be two people becoming one flesh, two people becoming one. Uh, you know, God creates human beings in his image. And he creates men and he creates women. In other words, he puts half of his image and, you know, uh, one half of the human race and half in the other, and they have to come together to make a whole person, essentially. Um, so we've got marriage, we've got these close friendships with the Coen brothers. You know, people talk about uh, working on a Coen brothers movie, and they say that, like, they're shocked, by the way, if you ask one of them the question, and then ask the other one, they will always give the exact same answer about what, what are we doing with the movie here? What's the vision? Just all the way to, to the most precise detail. They're like the same mind, you know, these brothers. And so the closest I've come is it's like that. It's, it's, it's better for me, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not um, claiming this is the correct answer, but for me, it's a lot easier to think of, about the Father and the Son and the Spirit as just three totally different people that are so close that they're one person. That's a lot easier than trying to think about one person that's got like three parts or three uh, manifestations or you know three ways of showing himself. Uh, but again, I'm not claiming you have to look at it the way. Either way, however you look at it, this is reality. This is the most real thing there is, is these three people that are one person, that are three people, that are all and each and together God. And people have said, um, and we've been talking about one of these three people uh, more than, in some ways more than the other two, Although I, I would debate that, but let's just say for the sake of argument, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit more than we've been talking about Jesus or God the Father over the last seven months. And, you know, some people have said, well, when's this uh, Holy Spirit phase going to end? You know, when, when are we going to stop just being, talking about the whole Holy Spirit and nothing else all the time? The answer is, well, never. You know, we're talking about God. When are we going to stop talking about God? I hope never. And to whatever extent there has been any imbalance, and again, I'm not sure there has been, but if there has been an imbalance, talking about the Holy Spirit more than God the Father or Jesus over the last seven months, well, back to the extremes thing, we're just barely tilting the scale back in the right direction. You know, uh, we've talked a lot about how I just say things about the last 10 years of the church, um, about being sad about it or feeling like it wasn't what it was supposed to be. And we've talked about how that's hurtful to you because you say, well, that it was you know, meaningful to me and good things happen. And that's true, and God's grace was still here. But before seven or eight months ago, we never talked about the Holy Spirit at all, which means we're just not talking about God. 
there was a pastor that wrote a, a book about the Holy Spirit called Forgotten God. Forgotten God. And to whatever extent I've um, said things that sound demeaning about the Bible, it's because of the way that I've seen that the enemy has used the Bible, which is God's gift to us. He's used the Bible just like the enemy used the law in the Old Testament. He's used the Bible as a substitute for us because the Bible is a gift from God. The Bible is true and inerrant without error from beginning to end. And the Bible is necessary. But it's not nearly as good a gift as God himself. When Jesus talks about there's a really good gift coming, he's not talking about the Bible. He's talking about God. And so if you've got God, then the Bible is this amazing tool and resource. But if you don't have God, and, and you think the Bible's enough, which is kind of what I was doing, and I'm not putting that on anybody else, you know, maybe you weren't doing that, well, then it's keeping you from God. And in a lot of churches, the, the, the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. And what that's called is idolatry. It's called idolatry. To elevate something that is not God to the status of God. And it's been, become so clear to me that the Bible is this idol that is worshipped in many churches as God. Now, for most of you and for most of us, the Bible is not the main idol we have. You know, that's not the main problem. The main idols are these other idols. These other uh, things we look to, people we look to for, what, what is an idol? It's where you're looking for truth and fulfillment it's kind of the be-all and the end-all. It's what you measure your life by above all else. Only God can be in that spot. Not even the Bible can be in that spot, but certainly not any other person or a career or any value system. So whatever it is, if it's keeping you from God, and that's the devil's plan to keep you from God, uh, it's the number one problem. Anyway, we're not going to stop talking about the Holy Spirit because to talk about the Spirit is to talk about God. And maybe, maybe we rebalance at some point. But for now, going back to what I was saying about the last 10 years, when I think about the last 10 years, I, I do have an overwhelming sense of sorrow about getting up here every week and not talking about God getting up here every week and not talking about God. That's not a small thing. So I feel sorrow about that. And that's why we've been repenting and trying to change our ways. And as we have done that, we have experienced and felt God in a way that we never have before. Why? Because God the Father is not here. Jesus is not here. Now, God the Father, in some sense is all around us but in another sense he's above us in another sense 
He's sitting on his throne in heaven. Jesus, this is, talking about a mystery. These three people, this divine family, one of them becomes a human being and is still a human being. Jesus can only be in one place at a time. Now, he can go through walls, you know, he can go anywhere he wants instantly, but he can only be in one place at a time. He's, he's Jesus. He's, he became a human being. He's still God. And then there's the Holy Spirit. And the, the reason the devil is so intent on us not talking about that person of the Trinity, not talking about that person in this divine family, is because he's the one, the Spirit is the one that can come inside us and dwell among us. And so if you just talk about the Father and Jesus, he's like, well, at least... At least they don't have the Spirit. At least they're not talking about the Spirit, because that's where all the action is. Now, I'm just talking about right now, just in this particular time and place. When history ends, we'll be with the Father and with Jesus, as well as the Spirit. But not now. Jesus isn't here. But the Spirit is and can be. And so that's what we should be focused on. I want to talk this morning uh, with, you know, it's a long intro, uh, but with the, the, the time we have left, I want to talk about what does it look like when the Holy Spirit comes upon you or comes into you? What, what is that? How do you know? And then second, if you don't feel like that has happened to you, why? Why has it not happened yet? In terms of what it looks like, we've talked a lot about this. Uh, the, main th- the, the most important thing about the Spirit coming upon you, filling you more, baptizing you, you being immersed in the Spirit, is just all of a sudden you get Christianity as advertised. Christianity the way it talks about it in the book. I, I shared this before, I always felt like, man, it's great, church is great, God is great, but it sure doesn't live up to the promises. Well, that's because of lacking the fullness of the Spirit. And so the Spirit just makes all these things possible that before were impossible. You can just obey all of a sudden. Now, it doesn't happen all at once. So it's this process called sanctification. You know, another uh, theological, churchy sounding word. The idea is, as the Spirit takes up residence, He he changes you, and it's, it's a process. It's slow. Well... I thought I was undergoing that process my whole life. I'm like, wow, it's really slow. <laughs> it's not that slow. You know, like, we say these things to encourage each other. Like, no, yeah, it's just, it just, it's slow. It just takes time. You know, like, you're changing. Well, I mean, I don't think I've moved. You know, no, 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 no. They just, just believe, just, just trust that, that God really is changing you. Yeah, but no, like I ask other people and, and, you know, first they say that I have because they're trying to be nice, but then we talk about more and they're like, no, yeah, you're still the same. (laughs) And as I have become more filled with the Spirit, uh, two things have happened. One, my, my sense of the gap between who I am and who I should be has multiplied by like a thousand. 
you know, if I thought I was falling short before, I mean, now it's incredible. But there's no shame in that. There's no guilt in that. I don't feel overwhelmed. And at the same time, I have seen myself effortlessly change in moral and spiritual and character ways over the last seven months beyond anything I had experienced in the 20 years before that. And so again, in terms of how far I am from perfect, I mean, farther than ever. But in terms of how much progress I'm making daily, more than ever, more than ever. And I want more of this. I want to just continue on this journey. This is character transformation, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, these positive emotions, this ability to obey, power. We've talked a lot about power. In terms of the ability to obey, what becomes clear uh, once you are filled with the Spirit is, oh, I couldn't do any of this stuff without supernatural power before. You know, we try to redefine it in ways so that we can do it by our effort which is Jesus' point with the Sermon on the Mount. The Ten Commandments are impossible to keep, to, to begin with. People didn't get that for thousands of years, and they tried to keep them. And so Jesus had to come and say, oh, I think you misunderstood the commandment. You thought you kept it because you didn't murder anybody, but you were angry. You didn't keep it. Broke that one. Oh, I, I think you misunderstood the commandment. You thought you had kept that one just because you hadn't actually physically slept with someone besides your spouse? No, 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 no. What about what was going on in your mind? Broke that one. And the goal of him showing you and showing us how impossible the commandments are to keep is not so we just say, well, I'll never keep them. So, you know, I just trust Jesus for forgiveness. I mean, you do have to do that. But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is... God says, let me put a new heart in you so that you can keep the commandments for the first time. And again, you don't start keeping all of them all at once. But you start doing things that are impossible. You start never lusting. You just go through however many days in a row and I haven't had a lustful thought in six months. That can happen. It can happen without a resolution chart. It can happen without a daily checklist. Did I lust today? It can happen, but only, only by God's supernatural power. All of the commandments are impossible to keep, even the, uh, the moral ones. But then some of them are, are clearly impossible to keep. You know, uh, cast out demons is a commandment. Heal the sick is a commandment. You don't get to just ignore the ones that are impossible. You have to think, well, if I'm supposed to do something impossible, how's that going to work? And so when the Spirit comes, there's power to obey. And it feels effortless. There's character change. There's power to obey. There's your eyes being open. There's all these verses, uh, Jesus says this a lot, it's all through the Old Testament prophets as well, talking about they had eyes, but they couldn't see. They had ears, but they couldn't hear. And there is this dramatic experience of, as you become filled with the Spirit, just 
it's like your, your eyes are open and your ears are open. And you, it all of a sudden makes sense. All of it makes sense. And all of it seems true. We've seen that happen to a lot of people in our church. So that's great. Uh, the question is, what if you don't feel like that's been true of you? And what I don't want to do, what I've been so resistant to doing throughout this whole journey is saying, oh, no, maybe it is true of you. You just haven't realized it yet. No, if, if, if it was true of you, you wouldn't need me to convince you of that, to try to make you feel better. If you're like, I, I just don't know if it's happened. It probably hasn't happened. And the, the reason I draw that line is not, you know, there's been, I've been accused of just about making some people feel like outsiders or having an in-club. It's not about that. It's just about, I feel like I was encouraged in a bad way, and so I didn't keep seeking what I should have been seeking. No, like I would come to these pastors with frustration. Like, you know, I don't think this is quite right. Like, I think I'm maybe missing something here. And when they should have said, yeah, you are, you're missing God. What they said is, oh, no, 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 it's like that for everybody. And so I don't want to do that. It has nothing to do with wanting to make you feel bad about being on the outside. It has to do with wanting to make sure you keep seeking what you should be seeking. Why hasn't it happened for those of you who it hasn't happened for yet? Uh, a couple of different potential reasons. One reason could be that I'm not the guy for you. And this is kind of what Logan's been talking about the last couple of weeks. Just He's talked about it in terms of different spiritual gifts or callings or uh, different personalities. But basically what he was saying is, <laughs> I like to think about Logan's last couple sermons as, I don't know what he would think of this, but I loved them. Uh, and I was, my interpretation of them was, this is Logan trying to save himself so many meetings during the week. Because, uh, you know, I preach, and then he has to clean up the mess all week long. You know, he has to meet with all his people, and he has to tell them all the same thing. And so I think he just wanted to get up finally and just say it to everybody once, you know. And basically what he's saying is, look, um, it's God, it's real, but the way God comes through a particular person might not work for you. And that's okay just so find another path, essentially. I think that's true. I just have been hammering what got me there. I've been hammering you all with, this is what got me over the line. But I think that that's worked for so many of you on the one hand. On the other hand, for others of you, it's uh, been an obstacle. Others of you, one, one of those people being my wife, you know, I all fall. I'm like, it, it just, it, it makes sense. Like, how do you not see this? And it just didn't work for her. Now, part of that's just because we're married, you know? But part of it is because we're different. And so Logan was a lot more helpful to her, not only in the sermons, but also in conversation, in finally breaking through and getting to this point of experiencing everything I just talked about. And what Logan's been saying the past couple of weeks is don't get hung up on the packaging. Now, there's, make no mistake about the claim, you know, it is God, like, it is God in me, God through me that you're experiencing. 
Paul says, we're not going to put a veil over our face like he talked about, like Logan talked about last week. But Paul also says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. In other words, it's the glory of God himself. But then the, the packaging is not so nice to look at, you know, and very rough around the edges. And so that's one potential obstacle. And if you think that might be you, then, then basically what Logan was saying is just if, if what Ryan says doesn't help you, then just bat it away. Just bat it away. Say, I know that's God. I know that's true. But that's not going to help me get there. That could be one potential obstacle. Another potential obstacle is what we talked about uh, at the beginning, idolatry. This is the biggest one by far. Idolatry, you can't experience God in you if you're worshiping another God. He just won't do that. He doesn't do the, the two gods thing. Back to the Ten Commandments, that's how he starts. He says, okay, we're going to have this relationship. Let's get one thing clear right at the beginning. I don't do the, like, I've got another God on the side thing. I just don't do that. If you want me to be your God, then you can't have idols. And, you know, today it could be any number of different things. It could be a, a belief system. It could be money, like we've talked about so much. Or respect, other people's respect. It could be control, this idol of control. I'm going to run my own life. It could be this idol of understanding. I'm only going to submit myself to things that I can rationally understand. Rationality, culturally, is probably the number one idol. You know? It's only true if it, if it can be rationally explained. Um, when somebody gives like a rational, in the old days, in the old days when you know, I tried to give rational sermons, and I would hear somebody else, a recording of a sermon, they tried to give like a rational sermon, like an argument. Uh, if I was smarter than the person, I would see all types of holes in their argument, and the whole sermon would just be like nails on a chalkboard to me. Like, I can't, they're, they're presenting this as rational, and it's not rational at all. And I just couldn't stand listening to this purportedly rational sermon because I was smarter than the person giving it. And what I heard God say to me is, Ryan, how do you think I felt about your old sermons? <laughs> Purportedly rational, but riddled with holes. Which is why Paul says, your faith has to be built on God's power, not human wisdom. Because I would stand up here and dismantle Christopher Hitchens. I just have a field day with him. But what, what happens when Christopher Hitchens shows up? He's probably better at it than I am. Then what happens to your faith? And you're like, oh, no, he's the rational one. And none of us are. Like, logic and the scientific method and trying to prove things, we just aren't good at it. We're just really, really bad at it. And there's all these flaws in all of the, the arguments that make the most sense to you and feel solid to you. They're shaky. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not true. But it's an idol for us. It's an idol for us. We'll believe things that we can prove to ourselves. I don't know what your idol is, 
but you have to cast down your idol to be filled with God. And the reason that we've talked so much, that I've been hitting so hard on speaking in tongues or falling down or crying or these different things, isn't because of the importance of those things themselves. It's because of the, the, the litmus test that they present. It's because of the, the hypothetical. Would you be willing to fall down or speak in tongues or cry hysterically if that's what God filling you with his spirit looked like? Would you, is that okay with you? The reason I've been hitting it so hard is because I'm trying to expose this idol that I think was the number one thing for me and is the number one thing for a lot of folks in our church of control and rationality. And so I'm finding the thing that, that gets at your control and gets at your rationality and saying, does this bother you? Can you handle this? Because if you can't, then I think we've found the idol. So you've got to cast down your idols. That often involves repenting of sin. You have to repent of all your known sin. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, do you have to know everything wrong you've ever done and repent of everything completely and be, you know, basically clean your moral record from top to bottom? No, but you have to do it to the best of your ability. We've talked about this with AA and how do people get set free from demonic oppression? By going through their moral inventory and confessing everything. So, again, it's like, if you're saying, it's just not working for me, you know, I can't break through, and you've got a secret you've never told anybody? Well, what are we talking about? You know, I'm realizing I'm like having this conversation with you trying to say, okay, well, what is it? And then you've got this unconfessed sin. No, it's just, just it's that. It's, we can't do anything until you deal with that. The last thing that we haven't talked as much about, uh, or at least the last thing for this morning, is not just asking for forgiveness and confessing your sin, but also the sins of others against you and unforgiveness. And just as I've been thinking and praying about those who haven't had this experience yet, uh, what is it? What's the block? Again, it could be any number of things, but the, the one that's really there in my mind right now that we just haven't talked about enough is when somebody's done something to you and you haven't fully forgiven them. And that, too, in Scripture and in the experience of millions of believers over hundreds of years is a deal-breaker. If there's unforgiveness in your life, there's anyone you haven't forgiven fully, God just can't abide. He cannot come in and be with you. Now, this one, I, f I think, maybe feels the harshest to people because it's like, it wasn't my fault. They did it to me. And yet somehow if I don't forgive, then God won't come and be with me? That seems like adding insult to injury. Like, I already had to suffer this. And then now God won't be with me because of this bad thing that happened to me? And I get that perspective. But you have to get God's perspective. Why unforgiveness is so serious. Because again, it's a litmus test. It's, a, it's indicative of something. If you cannot forgive, if there's someone in your life that you can't forgive fully from, the, from your guts, then it proves, and I, I don't mean this to 
be offensive or, again, I don't mean to add insult to injury. But if you cannot forgive with your whole heart from your guts, it proves that you, you don't know Jesus at all. And back to the family, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You have to accept all of them, all of him, to get any of them or any of him. And Jesus came to die on the cross. We talk, talk about this every week. Shed his blood, have his body broken, so that your sins could be forgiven before God the Father. To meet Jesus is to know that's true in your guts. If you know that's true in your guts, it is impossible for you to not forgive someone else. It's impossible. Because you, you saw what he did for you, and the story Jesus tells about this is, you know, the guy that goes to the king and he owes him a million dollars and begs, please, please, please let me off. And so the king says, okay, I'll, I'll let you off, debt forgiven. And he goes right out and there's a guy that owes him 10 bucks and he grabs him by the little pillow and he says, you better pay me. I can't believe you didn't pay me my 10 bucks. And Jesus is like, well, clearly that guy is going to hell. You don't go to hell because of all these things you've done wrong. You go to hell because you won't receive forgiveness or you can't receive forgiveness or you haven't experienced forgiveness. And Jesus says, it's really easy to tell because how do you know? You know, a person can say, oh, I believe Jesus forgave my sins. Well, how do you know? This is the test, it's so easy. Can you forgive this person from your guts? If not, then you haven't experienced it yourself. Now, in some cases, it could be that you have experienced it, but it just hasn't filtered in. You've never heard somebody talk about it. or You've never kind of let God open that door in your heart. You know, so I'm not necessarily saying the answer is start with, you know, trying to experience Jesus' forgiveness for you, because, you know, maybe you have done that, but there's some block where it just didn't, didn't make its way. And if it hasn't made its way, then God can't make his way. Anyway, I might not have hit everybody with that list, and it's not an exhaustive list. Um, but the, the goal of this church is the, the goal of the church, which is as Christ's body, as a representation on earth, to welcome God's spirit uh, as a community, but then individually. So this, this is all we do now is try to become more fill, filled with him and full of him. And if you feel like you're on the outside of that, um, I want you to continue to feel on the outside until you're on the inside. You know, back to Brittany, the worst seven months of her life. I mean, just awful. Hating a church she once loved. Feeling like I would, if I wasn't married to the pastor, I would have already gone to a different church. But worth it. Worth it to break through. And again, not through anything I did. I was making it harder on her, if anything. But through the ministry of others, through the ministry of God to her directly, through these other experiences, getting there. After months and months and months of just 
agony getting there and it all being worth it. It's, all, it's like, almost like, it's a crazy, crazy analogy, you know, you're going to wonder where I got this. It's almost like just all of the inconvenience and pain of carrying this child for nine months and then just the most excruciating physical pain that anybody's ever experienced. Just feeling like it will never end. Sometimes hour after hour after hour. And then there's this new life. And you feel like, that was nothing. That was worth it. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, man, you've got something. And Jesus says, you're supposed to be a teacher and you don't know about this? You have to be born again, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus just doesn't get it. But that's how it is. You have to be born again. And it has happened for so many people in our church with varying degrees of agony. You know, with varying degrees of speed. And so, if it hasn't happened for you yet, yes, go through the list again, but don't beat yourself up. Don't let me get in the way. Just keep seeking. It will happen. I don't know why it happens at different timetables, but Jesus says to the, the disciples, wait. Wait till you are clothed with power from on high. So just keep waiting. Now, if you're waiting for it, that's good. Wait, maybe it'll, maybe it'll take a year. Maybe it'll take two years, as long as you don't stop waiting and stop expecting. There's another type of waiting, which isn't good, which is trying to wait it out, you know, thinking, we can wait this out, and things will get back to normal. Um, and I've said this repeatedly, and then gone back to the Lord, and did you want me to say that? And he's confirmed it again and again. For those that are waiting it out, thinking that, the emphasis will shift back at some point. You shouldn't keep waiting, you know. I've asked you many times, or suggested many times that you leave. I said the thing about you're replaceable. And we all are. We all are. So, there are other churches. It's not mean-spirited. But it's just... If you are waiting for God and you want this, I will wait with you as long as it takes. But if you're trying to wait it out, well, then we're just hurting each other at this point. And so just get on with it, you know? Like Jesus says to Judas, what you're going to do, do it quickly. You know, if you're, if you're on your way out, get out. I didn't mean to call you Judas. That was... But... But... It's, it's, with, it's with no hard feelings, you know, but we just, um, God told me very clearly when all this started that, well, if you start talking, here's what, here's what I want you to start talking about, and if you start talking about this, the church will get smaller first, and then, you know, the floodgates will be thrown open, and all these people out there, all these people out there that he loves just as much as every person in here who want God will come rushing in because all of a sudden God's what we're offering. 
and for us to, you know, well, we like what we got, so what about all them? Anyway, he said very clearly, well, get smaller first, and then that'll happen. And then as the fall went on and the church just kept growing, I was like, this is weird, and now I feel like that, that getting smaller moment has finally come. I feel like that's finally happening, which again, isn't pleasant, but at least it's like, all right, let's get it over with, you know? So just get it, let's just get, get it over with and not draw it out um, so that everybody can get on with it. But again, don't, don't hear that if it's not for you because some of you are waiting for power. Some of you are waiting for God and there's no rush. We, we will stick with you as long as it takes. Waiting it out, trying to wait it out is a different thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you, Jesus, for becoming one of us and dying in our place. And Spirit, we thank you for living within us and among us. We know that we have grieved you spirit in the past we know that we have quenched you we ask you to fill us to fill each of our hearts to fill our church we ask you to baptize us to baptize each of us individually to baptize our church we ask for your presence and your power and your glory and your character We ask for what only you can do, God, Spirit of God. Come now as we sing to you. Come now as we celebrate Jesus' sacrifice. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.